Hi, I'm Isabella. And I'm Jeff. We're two Asian Australians who want to explore what it means to be Asian in the West. And you're listening to As I Am. Discussing politics and hot topics with your family has always been a very challenging feat. But I think in the year that was, that was 2020 amidst Black Lives Matter and a plethora of, you know, political uprisings and upheavals, I think the importance of discussing politics and hot topics with your family um, is something that shouldn't be understated and it was more important than ever, which is why Jeff and I thought it was important for us to have an episode on this To discuss, frankly, you know, the challenges of navigating topics such as different political views and racism and anti-blackness with your family members and how to do so in a meaningful way. So, Jeff, first question to you. How open are you with your family? What's your dynamic? What do you tell them and what do you hide? I'm much closer to mum than dad. I think those early years of development are super important. And dad, having worked overseas for maybe close to 10 years of my childhood, I do find it somewhat difficult to discuss more personal things with him. Sometimes I do feel like our relationship is a bit superficial and a lot of the things that we do are sort of, I guess, more acts of love versus explicitly saying affectionate things. Mm, yeah. And I, know, and I know when he wants to talk about things, but he will never directly say it to me. It always goes through my mum. Mm. Um, so mum and I are, are pretty close. I think there's still a facade that I like to hold up, but I'd say that I'm open about 90 to 95% of my life. Uh, so I obviously like, don't talk about things like sex or I don't talk about things yeah. that are, you know, the things that you don't really want your parents to know about. But yeah, that being said, I have a lot of friends that are completely open with their parents and I really admire that. But I think that's the difference between a lot of Eastern and Western yeah, um, I was going to say, are those friends white, Jeff? <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, actually, no, no, actually one of them is Asian and we had a, we had a chat about it a couple of months oh. ago. Um, but for, for the most part, about 90 to 95% of the way there. That being said, though, grandparents is a completely different story. Like I'm mm. very much controlling of what parts of my life that I tell them. And for me, it's important that they have this image of me that is somewhat quote-unquote pure and quote-unquote obedient Mm. and I want them to sort of have lived their entire lives maintaining this image of me and I guess this is like again the difference between east and western culture because I'm sure a lot of people out there would say like they don't know the real you like they don't understand all different parts of you but I think there's this is an active choice that I want to live by and I want to it's, it sounds it sounds really weird, but it's just like you just want them to be like proud and yeah. think of you in a certain way. And that, Wait, so just to touch on that, yeah. do you mean as in you want your grandparents to view you as someone holding a certain... Like we're talking politics here, are we talking just... Oh, no, just in general, just like... Values. Yeah, what values. What you do with your life. What I do with life. my life, you know, and how I approach things, how I talk to people, mm. how I act around mm-hmm. people, just really being a very good Asian guy Mm, that is yeah i I know this is somewhat of a strange thing uh potentially to our western audience but this is an active choice that i make and something that 
um, I'm very comfortable um, doing. So um, yeah. what about you? Yeah, interesting. I mean, I am close to them in so far as like an Asian daughter is close to their parents. Like I definitely find myself not opening up much about politics. Like we don't, like at the dinner table, politics isn't, you know, the go-to conversation, if that makes sense. That being said, though, I do feel like my dad and I kind of receive our news and, like, engage with, you know, worldwide events and things that happened, like, through the same kind of mediums. Like, we both read a lot of, you know, newspaper articles. He also listens to a lot of, like, news podcasts. Like, Mm. I don't know, like, I listen to on my phone, he listens to on his phone. So, you know, we'll be in the morning, you can hear, like, two different channels of, like, news (laughs) mediums operating, right? Um, so I feel like we're quite similar in that respect where we like to keep engaged with like things such as, you know, world events and, um, the political happenings of the day. Um, and that's the complete opposite with my mum, where I find that she doesn't really engage with that. And weirdly, I'm closer to her. Like I feel much more comfortable talking about certain issues and topics with her than my dad. And I do think that does come down to our differing viewpoints. I, I I feel like my hesitation in talking to my dad and opening up about politics does come down to the fact that we do have different political leanings. I'm a lot more left-leaning mm. than he is. I'm proud to say, though, that my dad isn't one of those proud Vietnamese Trump supporters. Like, we do agree on the fact that Trump is a objectively vile person, um, but we do disagree on other issues. Yeah. Um, as opposed to my mum, who I find is a lot more open-minded about certain things, which I think can be a good and bad thing. Like, I feel like she can be easily assuaged by both my dad and myself. So depending on who wins the argument, like she'll go with that viewpoint. Mm. I'm frustrated by the lack of conviction, but at the same time, I do admire that she does have a more nuanced perspective on the world, if that makes sense. Even on today, which is January 26th, when British settlers first came to Australia and thereby, you know, led to this history of dispossession of the Indigenous population, my mum was very receptive of my feelings towards it and how I don't think it's daily celebrate. Whereas my dad, I think he doesn't celebrate it, but I think he was a bit more skeptical about mm. why there's such a fervor around this day being invasion day and everything. So yeah, like I, I do feel like, I mean, they're products of different generations I know, but mm. that does lead, because of that, it does lead to, I guess, conversations at the dinner table where I often find myself quite frustrated and I'm like, look, i just rather not. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, is that a bad thing? Because, and that's a th- and that's why we want to talk about this in this episode because I feel like often I personally would defer to just not talking about the conversation at Me all, too. to talk about certain topics at all, rather than like, you know, feel uncomfortable and go through that discomfort yeah. to get somewhere. Yep. Do you feel the same way? No, I'm exactly the same. Honestly, sometimes I wish dad was a bit more flexible, malleable, just like your mom is. Because yeah. a lot of the time when we do approach topics, or he like, his, his biggest shutdown move is you don't understand. You know, that like joker meme where he's like smoking the cigarette, like you, oh, you wouldn't get it. No. Uh, that's, that's the exact same thing. And like literally one time we were discussing something about China and then basically all he does is like, he does that move where you just start spouting facts to the point where like people yeah. just don't want to listen to you anymore. Or he like talks yeah. about history yeah. or yeah, then he starts like bombarding you with questions like, oh, you do know about this? Do you know about this? Like, oh, you don't know about these two? Like, why would you understand this point? So it's like a, 
bit of a defense mechanism, but is very, very set in his ways. And I guess like much like you, like my parents and I have somewhat differing uh, political views. Again, mum is a bit more flexible and mum is not as conservative as dad is. Um, but yeah, again, like yeah, you have these... I, my, my default is just to avoid talking about these topics unless mm. unless something comes up and they like make a comment and then it's like, wait, no, we do have to talk about this. And then that, that's, that's the frustrating yeah. thing, I think. Right? I, w- I wish I didn't have to avoid the topics, but I just know what comes next. And yeah. Yeah. I, I think potentially... And we'll discuss this later in the episode in terms of potential tactics to talk about these conversations. I do think in a lot of instances, I may have approached these conversations in a wrong way, maybe pushing too much Mm. or asking for too much and asking for too much give in the initial parts of the conversation. But I think the next thing I think is why do we have this hesitation? A lot of the time you're chatting to your friends or you're you know, with people and you're very open about these conversations. Like you want to engage other people Mm, because you mm -hmm. want to understand their point of views. And if there are on a differing side, like be open about it. Like we we always advocate for having open conversations with people and understanding different viewpoints in order to form a more holistic view of an issue. But it feels different when you talk to your parents, right? Like it it does, it feels different. Even it's like a very little thing like language. Like I feel like, you know, I, mm. I speak very comfortably with Vietnamese and yep. you do with Chinese, but I feel like the vocabulary to talk about yep. things like yep. anti-blackness yep. or structural racism are words that I just don't know how to say in I don't Vietnamese. even think they and, exist in Chinese. Yeah, like well, exactly. Yeah. So, I, so I think that does inform the difficulty and the challenge of engaging in meaningful conversations with your parents. Um, and, oh, it's, and that's the thing. I, I think like 2020 was a good year for me to realise that not not realize, but I guess just understand that being silent and complacent in terms of like my family dynamic about these very important topics um, shouldn't it, 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 that's not a good thing. Like, and I feel like that's something that I'd want to actively work on. And I feel like back to your point on where this hesitation comes from. I think mine stems from frustration, to be honest, because mm. like I said, my mom is very open, and I don't think that she's someone I would find particularly combative in talking about these topics about. Whereas I, I feel like my dad is a bit more stubborn in his views. And often there will be heated debates over dinner where it gets to a point where it's like difficult to change their viewpoints. And it's like, well, what's the point? It's just, mm. we're all going to get like upset and that's it. Yeah. And I feel like another challenge like embedded within talking about these topics with Asian families are the different cultural dynamics of hierarchy. Mm. I don't know if you feel the same way, Jeff, but I also feel like sometimes when I'm like arguing and speaking back, I catch myself being like, wait, am I in a position to do so? Because like I'm meant to be the daughter, I'm meant to defer to the authority, but at the same time, like I can't stay silent if they've said something that, you know, is particularly problematic or ignorant. Yeah, no, exactly on that point. My biggest barrier is fear, fear of sort of making them angry and fear of, disappointing them almost and like we these are all things we've talked about a lot of the times but they're still very prevalent in the way that i act around my parents or the way i act around family and it's just constant also fear of making them regret all the all the tough work they've put in maybe they think oh we've brought him to this country like we had him in this country and he's been raised and all these different wild political views that have corrupted him almost and these are the things that sort of swell in your mind and you almost have to 
you almost have to sort of step back and view it from a more neutral point of view. And if, if this is something you are passionate about, you should try to talk about it and hopefully that they're reciprocal to the conversation itself. And I think you're right. It does boil down to an obedience thing. And as much as we want to feel that we've grown into full adults, like you and I are both 24 now, uh, you still worry about what your parents think about you. Of course. And uh, those childhood years still linger on you and the things that you do. And it, uh, I, I hate that so many of my decisions I always do consider, oh, like, what are my parents going to think about this? What are my grandparents going to yeah. think about this extended family? Like, this still weighs on me. I, I genuinely feel on a night out when things get real blind and hazy, like the spirit of my ancestors come down. They're like, Jeff, no more. And I'm like, no, you're correct. And then I like, you know, take myself home or take myself away. It's it's this. Yeah. Oh, it's it's like, um, oh, what's that show? Oh, you know, when you have like a like an angel or a devil on your shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> but instead of an angel and a devil, it's just your ancestors. You know, they just <laughs> whispering things into your ear. And this really Always. influences the decisions I yeah. make still. I think a bit less so now that I've gotten a bit older, but still something that I consider heavily. That's interesting though. So, I mean, so do you feel judged then if you have like a different viewpoint to your parents, particularly your dad? Like, do you feel like he judges you for that and like disapproves mm. of that? Yeah, it's it's hard to say. It's really hard to say because obviously he's never explicitly just said, no, you're wrong. Like that's, I'm disappointed in you for having a, a different mm. viewpoint. But it can feel like that even though. Interesting, right? Yeah. Even though, even though they've never explicitly said it. Because mm. so much of what East Asian and a lot of Asian cultures are like um, in terms of this whole filial piety thing is you, you do really have to respect your parents and in a lot of ways carry on a lot of things they, they uphold and values and beliefs is one of them for sure. So it mm. sometimes it does feel a bit controversial to, to go against them, but I think you do have to consider what it is that you truly value and what you believe is right and sort of hold your ground on those things. But it, yeah, it's like two conflicting forces for mm. sure. And really having to, mm. to navigate that space is tricky sometimes. Yeah, that's interesting because I'd say that this is probably the only area of my life where I don't feel like I need my parents' consent for mm. or at least approval of, um, which is interesting because, yeah, and that's something I, I will say I do respect um, of my parents is the fact that I, I never feel like I'm judged or I never feel like, I mean, like I, I did say before that sometimes it does feel out of line but to like talk back or whatever, but I think that's more because it's like the nature of me like, arguing back more so than the substance of what i'm saying if that makes sense yeah but i think that's something that yeah i really respect um is that despite our differences i don't find my parents quite dogmatic in their political views yeah um whereas i don't know if i can say vice versa i feel like i'm always like trying to convince them otherwise <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know if that's hypocritical hypocritical for me to say I feel like my dad always makes comments about like, you know, we'll, we'll have these discussions and he'll be like, oh, but you know, this is just like what you young people think. So I feel like he attributes my beliefs and my, mm. I guess, ideology because of my generation. Mm. But I feel like I can very much say the same thing about his as well. Mm. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I do suspect that for a lot of, you know, Asian, South Asian immigrants in Australia, 
a lot of their political beliefs are more conservative and traditional. Like, wh- what do you think informs the conservatism mm. in a lot of traditional Asian families? I think when you when you reflect on how your parents grew up, like my parent, my dad literally grew up in what like a small village, <laughs> um, mm. and what's around you is not much to work with. And I guess when you have not much option, people live quite similar lives and you tend to follow down a similar path. And as you get older, I think for them, change is exponential. Like they've, they've hit this like slow rate. I'm, I'm drawing out a small curve right now <laughs> on camera, but <laughs> like as soon as they like um, immigrate to another country and technology advancements, it literally just goes like bang. And it's a lot of stimulus and it's a really different time where views and ideologies and things have changed a lot faster like you think about what five years ago was like not many people were having these conversations and even amongst young people some people haven't been able to adapt to Mm. the monolith of change that's happened so if you try and empathize from your parents point of view they've grown up really understanding one thing and one option only in a lot of cases and then to be bombarded with so many different views and having it being told to them that you know this is what's right now it it would be a bit of a shock and i think that's uh that's something that i I forget sometimes like dad literally tells me stories where when we were kids we would cry because we got an egg to eat like this Mm. is this is a world without much option and things like developing yourself culturally and politically are not priorities not priorities yeah they're not priorities it's not now where you have access as oh it's it's really cool to be um you know politically savvy and knowledgeable about the world you get all this social capital but back then it's just went went like focusing on food getting an education trying to better your way of life versus trying to improve the way you view the world i think that the, the priorities are very very different between generations because now like food is for us a privilege and it's given we don't have to worry about it as much so we tend to focus on developing ourselves in other ways whether it's through work or whether it's through education and i think it for them it's just it's a bit of a shock i think it's mm. a bit of a shock yeah mm-hmm. and yeah and i feel like that difference in priorities is so analogous to the conversations around mental health and we've touched on like this topic before in past episodes um i definitely do want to do a deep dive into it but yeah just like the idea that you know, mental health and mental health and well-being and seeking things like therapy isn't really seen as a very, I don't want to say valid, but it's not seen as a priority. Yeah, it's not a priority. They have other things to worry about. Exactly. Um, but but I'm, I'm curious though, because I feel like politics is always a touchy subject, mm. but I can imagine the differences in your family, Jeff, in terms of being Chinese mm. and the Chinese state of politics these days. Mm. What, how do you navigate that? What do you talk about? What do you feel comfortable talking about? Mm. Have there been major disagreements about certain things? Mm. I'd be curious to know. Yeah, for sure. I think chatting to a lot of other Chinese people, this seems to be a growing trend where one parent is still very much pro CCP and the Mm. other has become very anti and much like my family, mom is very pro and dad is very anti. And we're, we're really curious about this and where it actually began. But a couple of years ago, a lot of anti-CCP propaganda started popping up. And 
uh, whether it's on WeChat or other, other platforms where it's, it's literally just some guy standing in front of a very bootleg news setup. You know, those ones where there's like, uh, like headlines running in the back <laughs> and they're like mm. rolling across <laughs> the back. And the guy's just screaming at the camera, talking about all this, all the, all the news events from this point of view that everything, well, so many things of the world have been driven by actions of the CCP. And now, you know, dad's really subscribed to some frankly intense theories about the CCP. And obviously, because there's um, one side that's for and one side that's against, a lot of the time it can lead to some pretty fiery encounters. I mean, if you want to, if you want to get an example of the extremities that, you know, he's subscribed to, he genuinely thinks Black Lives Matter was a plot by the CCP to overthrow the US government. Like, I, and the the problem is when he tells me things like this, he says it with such a straight face. Yeah. And like, what, what can you do? Like, what can you do? Yeah. I, I literally sit there and it's, I'm processing it. Like the, the fact that such a phrase came out of someone's mouth. <laughs> yeah. Do you challenge it? Like, do you, do you just like play dumb and be like, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I try. And then somehow like a lot of people with more extreme views, they've created or they've, they've understood a line of logic that granted sounds feasible but when you sort of step back and take a look at what they're actually uh, telling you and what they're actually explaining to you, it sounds ridiculous. Like they, they, they've mm. all developed this line of logic that fits exactly what they want, which is dangerous. Um, and yeah, quite confronting when someone says something like this too. It's just like, yeah. how, how, do you, how do you react? And to be honest, like you, I've just, I normally just go, okay, I can't be in this conversation. Like there's, there's no... I can't come out of this feeling better than I've gone in. And maybe I should Mm. sit there. And I think one of the best ways you can challenge someone's like racist assumptions or sexist assumptions, is just to question it. I think that's a very powerful, Mm. um, not coping mechanism, but a very powerful way to almost untangle or um, break down someone's assumptions because a lot of the time they've developed it without having a thorough understanding of why they feel that way. Mm. So maybe going on to the future, I should try challenge him. Maybe I can learn about some of these ridiculous theories that um, <laughs> he definitely holds. I mean, so far we've talked about politics and, you know, the challenges that can be navigating that. I also find another equally as another equally difficult topic to talk about is racism, especially mm. anti-blackness. And I feel like the impetus for this conversation and the momentum for this conversation really was spurred on by Black Lives Matter. Have you had the talk with your parents, Jeff, or have you spoken to them about racism, anti-blackness, all those good things? No, I definitely have tried. Uh, So as was previously stated, dad believes the movement was started by CCP. So Mm. that conversation didn't really go anywhere. Uh, having the conversation with mum was quite enlightening in a mm. negative way mm-hmm. in the sense that yeah. I think with anti-blackness for them, it a lot of the time they sort of refer to um, 
the Sudanese population in Melbourne and a lot of the times yeah. because they're small business owners, like they refer to things like lootings and things like robberies and they sort of attach, they, that's the single view they have of a community and they've just extrapolated that to just black people in general based on yeah. a few yeah. small occurrences. And that's the thing, like, I feel like that's something that's not often addressed or talked about enough about racism and anti-blackness is that it's so prevalent in Asian communities. We talk about, you know, Mm. white people being racist against black people, but, you know, racism amongst minority groups is just as bad and can be just as bad. And I feel like colorism as well is like very embedded in that. You know, the colorism is the idea that you do kind of privilege whiteness amongst these minority cultures. And for example, like preference for light skin, right? Like that's an example of, how um, internalized racism can be so I feel like what you're saying now Jeff has definitely narratives I have heard echoed in my family and it's uncomfortable because you're sitting there listening to this and you're like this is objectively Mm. racist yeah I think ignorance lies at the heart of it but it's difficult because I think to them like they attribute like their success relative success right um, through like sheer hard work and everything. And I feel like they don't really yeah. understand that the struggles of other minority, like the struggles of other minority groups and yeah. the fact that it's not just as simple as like, you know, putting like putting your bootstraps and, you know, working hard or whatever, obviously there's structural yeah. things in place. But I think like they were fortunate enough to be the beneficiaries of like, you know, an open door policy in Australia. I think that, is the danger in the model minority myth, particularly that Asians are this model minority. Because not only are Asians assumed under this monolith that does render our individual struggles as invisible, it drives a wedge between Asian communities and other communities of colour because, you know, it uses perceived Asian quote-unquote success mm-hmm. um, to invalidate claims of inequality and injustices against other or towards other communities of color. Yeah. And I feel and I feel like this myth just reinforces, you know, th- that success is viewed as assimilation to white society. Yeah. And like that should be the primary goal for all communities. Yeah. Um, and I think it's so dangerous to draw this like dichotomy between like good minorities and like bad minorities. And I feel like Asians often fall into the former category of being good minorities. Yeah. So I feel like you know, when communities like the Sudanese community or other black communities in Australia, like the discourse around them is often like they are, they're these bad minorities yeah. who like haven't worked as hard and therefore this, like there's no there's not much room for sympathy for them. Yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of like the discourse or at least what I perceive to be um, the prevailing narrative, which obviously is wrong, but it's difficult to kind of like cut through that and tell them otherwise yeah yeah for sure honestly i think empathy is a big part of it which is is not as present with issues of anti-blackness within asian communities as they are with a lot of others because i i I look at my parents and and you know they're amazingly kind to their family and friends and they've obviously sacrificed so much for us and I think for them, they almost view it as like they fight hard to secure what they've created. And mm. the it feels like they're very much just against like redistribution of funds in the in the form of taxes. That's that is, that is my parents' biggest thing. They're like, my taxes 
I don't like I don't want them to be redistributed to people who aren't going to use them effectively is this very like core value that they have and which is it feels really contradictory to me because for them collective harmony is such an important aspect of their culture and something that they really sort of believe in on on a broad scale I totally understand the redistribution point though it's just like yeah it's because I like it's like to them right like they've worked so hard to be where they are mm. like you know immigrants coming from nothing and for them to see like other immigrants as well benefiting off their hard work in the form of tax money that's seen as unfair even though like that's what tax is meant to do you know like yeah. it's meant to it's it's like a policy mechanism it's like a public pol- well at least in my understanding um i feel like tax is a really great means of being able to you know achieve public policy yeah. agendas yeah um yeah so it's um it's a really a contradictory point i don't know my mom donates a lot of money to the salvation army like constantly every time they send us a letter like she'll donate some money but when it comes to redistribution of funds for other minority groups around australia for for initiatives and policies that help them empower themselves to break themselves out of a cycle of um, hardship they're they're very much against it i think what i'm deeply afraid of is the fact that my family can be racist and i try and come from a point of understanding where i realize that ignorance does form a huge part of it and, you know, an example I want to cite is the fact that, you know, my grandparents, for example, even my aunties um, and uncles, I often feel like they ha- they hold these very deeply rooted generational beliefs, mm. um, especially that's like, formed in Vietnam about, and you know, cons- under like white imperialistic influence. And, you know, for example, the French colonized Vietnam. But it's so interesting because when I speak to my parents about like that history, they almost speak about it with pride. Mm. And because I, I always counter that being like, but what about this? But what about that? But they're all like, no, but, you know, ultimately in the end, like look at where like Vietnam is now. Like we wouldn't have gotten here. We wouldn't like be here if it wasn't for, you know, French colonialism and French influence that ultimately did put Vietnamese people in a better, on a better foot. And it's just like, how, how do you like reconcile? Or how do you talk like through that like intergenerational like belief that like colonialism was a good thing which it's really jarring because colonialism obviously is a violent form of dispossession yet I'm speaking to my relatives who are direct descendants of those who have been colonized Mm -hmm. and they're speaking about it in a positive light and like I just I, I can't understand that but at the same time like I don't know how to talk through that yeah yeah I don't know I don't have an answer this is just me like deliberating over a point in my Mm. family history Mm. i guess maybe there's that historical influence to oh that that historical perspective to where my family are predominantly from the south um and the south you know the middle and the south of vietnam were those who did fight with the americans yeah rather than like the ones who were up north and fighting for vietnamese nationalism so maybe there is that aspect too but yeah it's like how can I argue with them when, like, they have had those lived experiences of, like, seeing the fruits of colonialism and mm. I'm just like, oh, God, like... I know. I don't know how to... I don't know. It's difficult. I don't know how to move on from that. I know. It's like the... 
yeah, it's like an outside of you. Um, for us, we, we've, we, we've learned about this thing. And I think this is the, this is the difference. And the interesting thing about history is, is history is told in the eye of the person who lived through it. And it's it, history will always be told in a lot of ways as an experience. You know, we read about a textbook. This is a viewpoint of somebody's and you and I, we, we went to university and we, we learned about so many of these things, but when you talk with someone who actually lived through it, like which experience is more real? But that's the thing though, like I don't want to deny that like there was like violence and there was real dispossession mm. of the Vietnamese people in Vietnam by the French, right? And, you know, I'm not even speaking about, you know, the oppression by the Chinese as well and obviously mm. American imperialism. It's just like I'm hearing this one perspective and it's like rejigging like how I view I know. From someone, things. yeah, from someone you love, some, someone that's so close to you. It's literally yeah. family. Yeah. It's crazy. Because, you know, my perception is that, like, they would have just, you know, viewed that part of history with a lot of um, resentment because obviously, like, they had to flee, right? Like, mm. that, and that, that wasn't nothing. But, like, now they're viewing it in hindsight and they're like, no, actually, that was a good thing. Mm. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> this conversation has been definitely like frustrating just in so far as like Jeff and I don't have clear answers which is essentially like just talking about our experiences of how difficult it can be navigating the terrain of politics anti-blackness racism but I do feel like they are worthwhile yeah for sure and I think the the big takeaway um for you listening at home is that we we don't have an answer. It's, it's, we've just gone around and fluffed around in circles. And this, these topics will be difficult to talk about and they will always be difficult to talk about. And you've heard from Isabella and I, we, a lot of our default is just to ignore it or just walk away and turn a blind eye. But I think discussing these topics will always be worthwhile and potentially we've come up with some ways or useful tactics to approaching these topics with your family and think these are things that over the last year when I've started to really engage in these conversations a bit more have really helped because it, it's going to be talking about things that are touchy with people are just they're, they're difficult in general doing it with mm. people of a different generation is extra difficult and when those people are your family it's triple difficult <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and yeah. I think a big thing that we can advocate for is patience patience like you have to you have to understand that we've said this a lot of time they're from a different generation like they don't understand what skewed media is when we read something we can immediately tell that okay this is a biased piece like there's definitely a point of view that they're trying to push on the reader we can see through that but the millions of times mom showed me an article like look at this look what's happening and she'll read it but she doesn't understand the context or the intention and this is something that I think we should empathize with. Like you should like sit down with them, tell them, get examples of it helps. Like this is neutral. This is not neutral. And maybe as they show mm. through them, they can understand it. Our parents have lived with a certain set of beliefs for a really long time and have abided by a particular lifestyle and core set of values. And there wasn't as much choice in many ways of the different points of view that they could hold and there wasn't the vocabulary to discuss a lot of these topics that we have so 
I think it's really important to be to be patient with them when you talk about these topics. And I think just the value of just starting a conversation and challenging these often ignorant assumptions shouldn't be overstated. And I feel like my mistake in the past has been starting off as like quite combative and expecting an argument. And I often find that it's a lot more constructive that you do just like talk about it. Um, And I often find that like it can come up just like organically or even you can bring it up like organically, you know, like, oh, what are your thoughts about this? Or Mm. like, why do you think that when they say something? And it's going to take more than a dinner conversation Mm. for them to, you know, have these assumptions challenged. But I do think that it is valuable to be persistent in, you know, breaking down um, these this ignorance, I should say. Yeah, for sure. I often find that grounding personal lived experiences in how you recount and how you talk to your parents about these things can be quite useful. So, for example, you know, my parents often, like, labour about, like, racist things that happen to them. Analogising those experiences to, let's say, something that happens often with the Indigenous population here in Australia, I often find, you know, you personalise it and you get them to a point where they can empathise. And mm. I do feel like empathy is, like, a huge part. Big one. Being able to bridge ignorant assumptions with those that, you know, are respectful. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be difficult and I definitely still struggle. I mean, I was saying to Jeff before that, like, this episode is, like, has been challenging, so to speak. Um, But I do feel like it is so important that we do have these conversations. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I guess, like, the last point is be consistent. But, again, go into these conversations with empathy, talking about things like this and trying to understand and potentially changing a point of view takes time it's it's not gonna you can't expect someone to come out of a 15 minute conversation with the complete opposite viewpoint of something that they may have held for tens decades of years so i think gradual doses and gradual conversations like maybe it's not talking about the whole issue maybe it's just one part of it you know after several small conversations the final outcome is something that's a bit more powerful so it's, it's like the same thing. It, I don't think immersion therapy in this point, in this uh, in this scenario would work. What like, is that? You know, I when... Uh, heard of that. Is, so to help someone get over the fear, I believe, this is like high school psychology. Oh. You can either give them gradual doses of something or you can completely pop them in an environment that's surrounded by it so that the shock mm. almost removes the fear. I think it's a very risky approach because <laughs> it's like if you're scared of snakes, like having a snake in the same room as you <laughs> versus walking into a snake. Wait, pit. wait, wait. No, but I, I feel like immersion therapy in the context of snakes are so different to like people. Right? I actually do find that, like, for example, my parents having like Indian friends, like no, that is, is a true. good thing. This is a true. You know this what I mean? Because like, because you, you do. And like, I think that's not, that's an anecdote that, like is resonant across so many different people and cultures in terms of like bridging like the gaps of racism where you are able to have these personal relationships with people from different backgrounds and that kind of I mean obviously having being friends with a black person isn't going to absolve you from racism but I do <laughs> but I do feel like you know having those personal connections with people who have those lived experiences 
of let's say structural racism and all that places you in a better in a better spot to understand mm. and perhaps it does lead to tolerant views mm. that makes sense mm. so yeah maybe not immersion therapy but i don't but i do see the value in meeting people from different backgrounds no no i agree overcoming racism no perhaps you're right that. you're right um sorry i was laughing before because <laughs> i can't be racist i have asian friends <laughs> that's something that people always say yeah and obviously it's not right but i do think there is like a very small seed of truth yeah in the fact that you know knowing someone from that lived experience can help you better understand that lived experience you know yeah for sure as you can tell jeff and i have definitely struggled with this conversation and i definitely know that and i have friends who have had very difficult conversations with their asian families too about certain topics and very heated arguments. Um, so if you guys have any insights or any things to comment and add, please like message us, let us know. We would love to hear about your experiences and whether you actually have successfully broken through with your parents and your family about these topics. It is challenging, but you know, we're in big 2021 and I do feel like it's onwards and upwards from here. Yeah. And having this conversation is going to be a good thing. Yeah, for sure. And obviously the tactics that we were talking about were completely non-exhaustive. And uh, what we'll do alongside this episode is release um, some great articles or great resources that we think might help you in navigating those conversations as well. Um, but again, as always, thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. If you enjoy this podcast, show us a bit of love by subscribing or clicking the follow button. We'd really appreciate that. And uh, we'll catch you guys on the next one. Bye.